My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very cool and very grey winter morning here in the capital, but joining me on today's show to hopefully add a little bit of brightness to affairs is Nikki Weiss, the Managing Director at Volcane Engineering. Uh, Volcane is an ambitious engineering consultancy which is supporting the UK government's policy objective of net zero carbon by 2050 through its involvement in large-scale energy and infrastructure projects. Um, Nikki, a very warm welcome to yourself, of course, and by all means, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure having you alongside us. And Obviously, given what your business is involved with, it's immensely topical stuff at the moment, which we'll sort of get onto a little bit later on in the programme. Uh, but just before we do that, I think it would be good just to contextualise a little bit about yourself for the listeners that might not be familiar with you, Nikki. And I understand that before sort of becoming MD of uh, Volcano Engineering, you were quite heavily involved in the uh, the defence sector, weren't you? So I can imagine you picked up one or two skills there that have proven immensely useful in your current role. Um, yeah, so that's where I started um, working. That's where I left university. Um, I went into defence, started working as a scientist, but very quickly moved out as a technical role and moved into project management. So I worked with project management and business management in my time there, um, which is exactly what I then moved into to Volcane to do um, some 10 years ago. Um, so really it's bringing the management skills across just into a, a slightly different industry. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. And obviously this is, I believe, like the first time you've been at the helm of an organisation. Um, was it sort of a daunting task for you when you sort of stepped into that role around about five years ago? Or having had all of that experience, did you think that I'm ready for this? This is pretty much going to be the way for me now. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I was daunted by it. I was, I was maybe slightly naive. Um I'd actually been working in the business already for, for five years, so I did actually know the business pretty well um, when I took over, so it was a, a bit more of a natural progression. And yeah, I've been managing kind of small um, profit centres, small business units already. Um, the business that I took over was much smaller than the business we've got now, so it's probably kind of evolved as I've grown more experience. Uh, it's been fairly comfortable so far, such would. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that in whatever roles we're in, we're sort of shaped by the experiences that we have. And I suppose you've had your fair share of challenges over the last uh, couple of years with the emergence of COVID for one. Um, what sort of operational challenges did you find that you had to sort of deal with on that side of things? Because from what I understand with what you do, it sort of came as a bit of a double pronged issue alongside the logistical challenges posed by Brexit as well. So it seems like maybe a tough couple of years. Um, yeah, I think all businesses have had a, a, a difficult few years. Um, the, the number of um, referendums and, and uh, elections and voting that's been going on has been slowing a lot of decisions coming out of government. So a lot of industries, um, the work has been slow and it's been tough for a few years. And then obviously COVID hitting. Um, we are quite fortunate as a business that a lot of the work that we do as consultants can be performed remotely. So actually we weren't as hard hit as some other industries have been with COVID. Um, it doesn't mean it's been easy though. So there's a lot of difficulties initially to uh, put the infrastructure in place, 
to get the IT and the office equipment for people to be able to work from home. Um, there was actually supply chain issues with a lot of that as well. Mm. So we were trying to get people up and running from home as quickly as possible. And then just maintaining progress, um, maintaining productivity while people were working from home was quite difficult. Um, obviously, the staff that we've got were trying their hardest to keep on top of work, but a number of them have got other things going on while they're at home. Uh, homeschooling, uh, managing family illnesses, all sorts of things that were um, making a nine-to-five job much more difficult. Uh, but fortunately, as I say, the, the work that we do, we can be quite flexible. Um, and once we've got people supplied with laptops, they were able to flex their work around what they needed to do at home. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I can imagine as well that when you're sort of in the thick of managing a remote team in a period of difficulty or crisis, let's say, it probably almost warrants a change in kind of leadership style and approach, doesn't it? Because safeguarding things such as mental well-being and keeping morale high, I suppose that's made a little bit more difficult by the fact that you're not sort of in the same building together. So what was it like sort of managing that side of things? Um, tough. That was probably the toughest part. It, it felt like um, the consultants, the staff doing their work could progress and could maintain the productivity. But the management team trying to, to just keep the same status quo, there was a lot of additional effort to get the same results from the business. Um, we were concerned about everybody being spread out and the impact on their, their mental health. So there was a lot of additional effort to ensure we're maintaining communication to make sure that everybody is okay, make sure they're all still connected. Um, yeah. Do you come away from this sort of feeling like you become more resilient as a business and you've actually sort of learned quite a lot from sort of the experience of navigating these challenges? I think it's um, shown us that we're quite good at thinking on our feet. We're, we're quite good at being reactive. Um, and also that the, we're, we're quite good at being able to tailor what we do to the individual. Um, we, we look at the, the mental health issues that we're having because some people, you know, not everybody is working at home with children um, and family around them. Some of our staff were actually working from home where they were on their own in apartments. And to do that for a prolonged period of time um, could have a big impact on somebody. But equally, we found the opposite when we were bringing people back into the offices and starting our face-to-face work again, that actually we needed to tailor that to the individuals as well to ensure that we were actually doing it at the right pace for people. Everybody seemed to return to work with different levels of anxiety Mm. around contacting uh being in contact with people again um but yeah i think we've found that we the size of our business and the nature of the business we've been able to be fairly flexible um to each person's needs yeah fantastic and it's good that of course you've been able to sort of surmount those challenges let's say and really get beyond that and we're in a phase now where it seems the acute phase of the pandemic at least in the UK is now gone and we're sort of looking to that sort of post-COVID world and I suppose what's very clear 
is that it's a very, very difficult environment for recruitment at the moment, partially driven by Brexit, of course, but also by skills shortages in various industries. Is this something as well that you found yourselves affected by and that you're having to grapple grapple with at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I say, we, we're lucky that COVID didn't have a huge impact on our on our workplace. Um, so actually, during COVID, we've still been growing. So we've been recruiting and um, mobilising people all throughout the last couple of years, which has been uh, an interesting challenge to, to give people inductions and bring them into the company and make them feel like part of the team when we can't actually meet them. Um, but yeah, certainly recruitment in general is very difficult at the moment. Um, I think that the the last couple of years has made a lot of people reassess what they want to do mm. in their lives. So there seems to be um, a smaller pool of people who are willing to um, commute away from home during the week. And um, so people are looking for work closer to home. There's certainly a demand from people that they want to be working from home more, um, which we can't always marry with the work that we do. Um, but definitely there is a big skill shortage in a lot of the areas that we're recruiting for. Yeah, absolutely. It's a significant issue that is affecting a lot of firms out there. And say, just talking hypothetically, Nikki, you were in sort of a ministerial role. What sort of things would you sort of try to implement as a solution, if anything? Where do you think we can try and actually remedy this and sort of close that long-standing skills gap and really sort of knock these recruitment issues on the head? Um, well, there's, there's an obvious one that's come out the back of Brexit. I don't think anybody would, um, would disagree with the principle of, of um, people having to have visas to come mm. and work in the UK. You know, that, that's straightforward enough. Um, if we can prove that we actually need people in the country, they can get a visa. That's absolutely fine. But the costs involved with the visa are really quite prohibitive. And I think that a lot of individuals can't afford the visa costs. So it's another cost that goes on to the business. Um, so just the time scale that all the visas and everything adds in is, um, creates enough difficulties in itself. But the costs put on the visas and there's additional... Um, surcharges for um, healthcare and these kind of things. It, that is definitely something that could be looked at. Um, I think where there's been emergencies uh, in certain skills areas in the last couple of years, the government has been quite quick to do something about that. Um, but it would be nice if we didn't always wait until things were a crisis before looking at them. So where we've got skill shortages over the next five to ten years, we should really start looking at that now. Mm. Um, and then the other obvious area, and if you're looking at a ministerial level, the other obvious area is um, in actual training people in the UK in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, I can't comment too much on that. I, I see a lot of teams around. I see a lot of apprenticeships. Um, I can only really speak from a business side of it. And I know that our business and a, and a lot of other businesses in our sector um, we're all investing and putting schemes in place to bring um, less experienced people into the workplace and train them up from scratch, but also to reskill people who've already got 
a number of years experience but haven't necessarily um, been working in, in our area or in um, the kind of capabilities we've got working. And so I think a lot of businesses are definitely investing heavily in this. Um, I'm, I'm not, I couldn't comment on the, uh, mm. the ministerial side of it. Yeah, and hopefully, of course, the steps that industry is taking to try and sort of train up that next generation is going to pay dividends in the uh, the long term. Um, I can imagine, yeah. though, that sort of the recruitment woes aside, that it probably sort of seems outwardly quite an exciting future for your business in terms of your line of work, because well, obviously post-pandemic, we're talking about climate change being sort of the next global emergency that we've really got to address, and you're sort of heavily involved in low carbon technologies and energy and given of course um, everything that is unfolding in eastern europe at the moment and the effect that that's having on oil and gas prices fuel prices um you know this makes your work all the more important doesn't it if anything yes absolutely and we saw um recently as well you know that with um cop 26 that the public opinion that we, we need to crack on with some of this stuff. We need to get it done. Um, but, but we've got a huge need in the UK um, to secure our energy supply um, in the coming years. Obviously, now with the, the situation we've got today and the problems with the, the gas market, you know, we, we need alternative sources of energy. It would be very nice if we started taking a bit more control of the energy supply into the UK. Um, the messages coming out of government for the last six months, there seems to be a constant stream of messages about needing to focus on um, driving cheaper, greener energy for the UK. Um, and we're really right in that mix, um, helping to try and come up with new ways of doing it, helping to build the new stations that are going up and then um, hopefully hoping, uh, helping to operate them when they become operational but it really is we need more than what's happening today because there will be a shortage when the current stations come offline which is all planned we we all know about it um and at the same time as our energy production going down we're moving to more more um lifestyles that involve more need for electricity so you know the move towards things like electric cars Mm. These are other environmental things that we all know we need to do. If we all do it, we need even more electricity producing uh, to support that. So I think we're all doing the right things. We're all saying the right things. There's the right ambitions there in the country. Um, But we shouldn't underestimate the fact that there actually is a huge gap there. And we need to very quickly have some decisions made, um, either by investors or at a government level, um, to get some of these projects up and running. Yeah, exactly. We really need to do see some traction on this uh, very, very soon because these are hugely important issues that will be affecting us later on down the line. And as we build toward being able to address those problems, I'd be interested to understand as well, Nikki, just before we wrap up on the show today, um, what sort of are some of the key ambitions that you sort of are holding for yourself within the business and what is it that you're really hoping to achieve over this year, 2022 and moving forward? Well, we're really hoping to continue the work we've got with our clients at the moment where we're helping them move towards greener energy. And so some of them are green energy companies, they're building green energy, that's great. 
but we're also working in some other industries mm. um, such as refineries and we're helping them um, clean up their operations to help them move towards greener solutions. Um, so we want to keep working in these areas. We want to help um, with our efforts towards the net zero target. Um, and actually, we want to do that through the kind of initiatives we're working on at the moment, which is all around upskilling and reskilling. So this is something we're quite proud of and something we know we need to work on um, over the next few years because to support some of these projects, there is enough work there for the next 10, 15 years, but there aren't enough people. Mm. So as a company, we're, we're really keen to keep working on our apprenticeships, our graduate schemes, um, and our training academies to, to reskill people into our industry. Um, and I'd have to say for, for anybody who is thinking that maybe they've reached the, the limits of where they are in their current career, or maybe they just don't know where to go next, or maybe they want to, to move into something that's going to help with the net zero targets, I would say that moving into the energy industry, there is a huge amount of work in all different skills, um, whether that be mechanical engineering through to marketing there are lots and lots of jobs um, and that's not just in our geographical area in the southwest um, it's spread throughout the UK it's really one of the industries that is helping the leveling up agenda in the UK as well mm. um, so I'd say it's definitely worth people looking at it as an option doing a bit of research and coming speaking to companies like ours um, even if we haven't got a job for you we can normally put you in touch with other good companies that we know have got um, schemes coming up that could be relevant to you absolutely fantastic and i really really hope um, that you have all the success in the world in really executing those aims because they're big ambitions but they're so so very necessary and um, I would actually relish the opportunity, Nikki, to welcome you back onto the show, maybe at some point in this next year or two, just to sort of catch up on how things um, are going along and sort of assessing the situation then, because it's a real constant state of flux at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, sure. We'd love that. Yeah, I'd absolutely welcome that opportunity as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed you um, coming onto the programme uh, to share um, your views with us, uh, Nikki, and thanks once more for your time as well on that. And um, also do take care and do stay safe with all still going on in the world too, I should say. Thanks very much, Scott. It's been nice speaking with you. It was indeed an immense pleasure welcoming Nikki Vice, MD at Volcane Engineering, onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview just as much as I. Um, if you do happen to be listening in today and you run your own business or organisation which you feel might have its own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders Council, then by all means we also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Um, until next time, to all of our regular listeners, you've been listening to the Leaders Council podcast with Scott Chaloner. Take care and goodbye.